Welcome to Chase Oaks Online. I am so glad to be coming to you wherever you are watching this message from. We just saw from Steve Foster how to throw a curveball as we've been in a collection of talks on how to hit a curveball. I don't know about you, but there's so many things that can happen in life where we just didn't see coming. We, we didn't know how to make an adjustment to know how to really deal with it. I don't know about you, but just even going through a pandemic, just seeing all of the different things that have changed is it, it, pretty crazy. You know what? You know what really shook me the other day? I was watching the news, and the weatherman is at home. Okay, He's working from home. I can't believe the, the weatherman is at the crib sitting at the desk telling us what the weather is going to be tomorrow. And you know what? Here, here's what I know about the weather tomorrow, regardless of, of where you find yourself at, is that tomorrow the sun will come out. You bet your bottom dollar, the sun will come out tomorrow. The sun will rise. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, will we? Will we rise to the occasion when we find ourselves in a situation that we're going, man, we don't know what to do with this? Have you ever had something to happen in your life you just didn't see coming? Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was a furlough. Maybe it was a kid making a decision that you just didn't see coming. And I don't know about you, but all of us have to ask ourselves this question, you know, really, uh, how do most of us navigate tough times? I mean, how have you navigated a a pandemic? For me, uh, somebody asked me the other day, how are you doing? And I said, zoom, zoom, zoom. I mean, like, that was just what I've been doing. I feel like I just go from one zoom meeting to another. And, And for us, that's how we're sort of trying to cope with how we can really stay connected. Uh, for some of us, another way that we, we cope and the way we navigate through tough times is, is comfort food. You know, I heard somebody say the other day, hey, you know, my, uh, my 2020 summer body is going to have to wait uh, for 2021. Some of us, we're just, man, it's just, this is what we've been running to. For others of us, it's, it's Netflix. It's binging, it's Disney Plus, it's Hulu, it's HBO Go, it's, it's the deal. This is how we're sort of, uh, what I like to call, filling the time. And for others, it's, it's just social media. It's nonstop. I mean, we're constantly just doing this morning, day and night. It's, 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 it's sort of how we, how, how we just kind of cope. It, for others of us, they're... Way more negative than that. <laughs> I heard that alcohol sales are up 300%. For some people, it's pornography. Uh, I, I love this verse in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Uh, the idea of a tower, especially in the Old Testament, it was actually during a wartime that, that a whole village could run into this tower and and be saved from their enemy. And here's what I know about you, and here's what I know about me, is that we've all got a tower we run to in times of trouble. We've all got a thing. Sometimes it's an app. Sometimes it's an addiction. But we've all got a, a tower that we run to. And the question that we have to ask ourselves about our towers is, what have our towers done for us lately? I want you to know, This weekend, there is a name that you can call on 
that can be your strong tower. How in the world do we hit a curveball? Uh, I, I think that there is a man in the New Testament. He's, he's the Apostle Paul. And he is someone that endured so much adversity, so many trials. And I believe he is somebody that we can learn from as to how to hit a curveball, how to hit something that we just didn't see coming. Uh, and, and a part of his story is, is found in 2 Corinthians. Now, uh, for those of you that aren't familiar uh, with the books of Corinthians, there's 1 Corinthians, where Paul is sending a letter to the church in Corinth, to Christians in Corinth, and they had a variety of issues that Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians. Now, that letter wasn't well received by some of the Corinthians there. And there were some naysayers, like, ah, Paul, whatever. And now there was a second letter that we don't see in Scripture that Paul also mentions. Most scholars believe that 2 Corinthians is technically the third letter to the Corinthians. Now, 2 Corinthians is split up into really three parts. The, the first uh, seven chapters are Paul reconciling his relationship with them to say, hey, I know things can go well in 1 Corinthians, but here we are in 2 Corinthians. Let's just get the love back. Let, let, let's, let's rekindle some things. Then in chapters 8 and 9, this is Paul encouraging the Corinthians to be generous. A lot of the Corinthians had had some success. They wanted to boast in some of their own accomplishments. But Paul's coming on the scene going, hey, you know what you should do with your accomplishments? You know what you should do with your success? Be generous. Be a giver. Give it away. And then he closes out this letter, chapters 10 to 13, with a challenge to all of the naysayers to say, hey, here's the deal. Um, and this is the word he uses a lot in these last few chapters. He uses the word boasting. Because, like, this was a group of naysayers that were bragging and boasting about their accomplishments. He goes, you want to play that game? Like, I can do that game. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, here's what happens. Paul's going, hey, uh, if you really want to boast about something, I, 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 I'm not trying to brag, but I was taken up to heaven one time, and God showed me some stuff up there. If there was anybody that could boast and brag right now, it would be me. <clears throat> Have you ever had that person that, you know, they did the humble brag? They're like, listen, I don't want to tell you about my 4,500-square-foot house, but like you just told me. Okay, that's how Paul is coming at them in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He's going, hey... I mean, I was up there in heaven talking to God, showing me things you could never see. But, I mean, I'm not going to boast about that. And then he says this, in verse 7, he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Um, this word harass, in, uh, when it was originally translated, was the word uh, buffet, which in Greek simply means to uh, like a, a punching, a, a punch in the gut. And, and then he says this, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. 
Now, the sages of the ages have tried to make a whole bunch of conjecture. Scholars have debated for, for centuries uh, what this could be. What is this thorn in the flesh? Some have made conjecture that it was, had to do with his eyesight and that that was his thorn in the flesh. Others have said, oh, you know, it was epilepsy. And Paul being very profound in his speeches and in his writings that it would somehow be publicly embarrassing. We really don't know what this was. We really don't know what this thorn was, but we do know how he felt about it. Oh, and and, and not to mention this. He says a messenger from Satan. We're not just talking about uh, uh, this. He might be talking about a person. You ever pray against a person? Lord, would you get rid of this person? Here's what we know. We know that this messenger kept harassing him. Uh, even uh, this word harass is uh, originally translated as the word uh, buffet, um, which in Greek is it's this idea of a, a punching, uh, a punch in the gut that Paul was consistently Getting hit it. It was this thorn in his flesh. And it, we know how I felt about it. He, he, went, he went to God <laughs> three times. Three times he's going, hey, God, could you, could you deal with it? You know what perplexes me the most about this request from Paul to God? It, it, it isn't even the, the thorn in his side. It, it's not what he's saying in chapter 12. It's, it's actually what he's saying in chapter 11. And remember, he is dealing with some naysayers, some people that are boasting about their accomplishments. And he's going, oh, I got something for you. I'm actually going to go the other direction. I'm not going to boast about my accomplishments. I'm going to boast and have a conversation with you about some of the darkest days in my life. And here's here's when you see this list of what Paul endured. Oh, it's, it's going to change everything because here's what he says. He says, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. You know, it was the Jewish custom that if you were given 40 lashes, it would kill you. They literally got him to the point of death five times. You know who else got 39 lashes? Jesus. Paul is enduring so much persecution. Don't just think 39 lashes. Think 195. Oh, and guess who he got them from? Leaders. You ever been hurt by a leader? One that's supposed to be spiritual spiritual he's got scars on his back and he's going look look at what has happened to me he, he, he doesn't stop there three times i was beaten with rods once i was stoned i mean if we just looked at just that alone we go man paul i, I can't believe all the stuff you've gone through he goes on three times i was shipwrecked once i spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea i have traveled on many long journeys i have faced danger from rivers and from robbers i have faced danger from my own people the jews as well as from the gentiles 
I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. You know what I find interesting is, Paul, after all that you've been through in chapter 11, you were very specific in chapter 11, but by the time we get to chapter 12, it's a, this, it's a, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a thorn in my flesh. I can't even tell you what it is, but I can tell you all about it in chapter 11. Have you ever had a prayer that you wouldn't even admit to your best friend? You wouldn't even dare say it out loud. I've got this friend who uh, they would always pray at a certain tree. And they kept putting this tree on social media. And they'd say, hey, you know what? We, we, I, I, love going, I love going running and going to this tree. And this is where I pray one of the deepest prayers of my life i mean literally they would post about this tree for years and we'd always be like our, our, our group of friends would be like well what are you praying about like what's going on at the tree and and, and eventually uh, we got to this place where we stopped seeing the tree on social media and we we kind of got concerned like hey you, you seen the tree like, i ain't seen the tree lately what, what's going on with the tree and and a bunch of us were catching up uh, a couple of weeks ago i said hey How's, hey, what's up with the tree? And this is what they said. They said, I stopped going to the tree. Because the tree is, was the place where God told me no. The tree was the place of disappointment. The tree was the place where I pleaded with God much more than three times. And that was the place that God didn't answer my prayer they had uh this they had a thorn in their side that they were just going god would you take this away from me i mean i just find it amazing (laughs) not just that paul was specific in chapter 11 and vague in chapter 12 i find it interesting that whatever it was he actually took it to god and didn't take any of chapter 11. He didn't go, God, please, could you get me out of this whole getting, you know, 39 lashes thing on five occasions? God, could you do something about... No, he... So whatever, I'm, I'm going, Paul, what could it possibly be given all that you've been through in chapter 11 that we get to chapter 12 and now all of a sudden you want to speak up. Now all of a sudden you're ready to talk to God. Now all of a sudden you want to take... Take it to God on, on a three-time request. And then, I love, you know, it said three times. I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And then, <laughs> I love God's response. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. <laughs> my grace is sufficient to you. So here is the Apostle Paul. Now realize, at the beginning of this chapter, 
Uh, Paul says, I'm not sure if I was in the body, out of the body. I'm not sure, but I was taken up to heaven. Maybe it was a vision. Maybe I was actually there, but it was a very deep spiritual experience. And in that same context, he's going, you know, I also pleaded to God three times. Hey, could you uh, could you help me out here a little bit? <laughs> and essentially, he's like, God's like, nah. My 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 grace is sufficient. I mean, has God ever told you no? I mean, has God? Have you ever had this request uh, about? A relationship? Have you ever had this request uh, about a job? Have you ever had a request ab- about a kid? And it just, it was just one of those things where it was like, no, talk about a curveball. You know, the really hard curveballs to hit are the ones you feel like God threw himself. Oh, the ball came from God? Are you kidding me? Like, God, are you doing this to me? What would you do if I told you that God was doing it for you and that it was going to work out for your good? I mean, if anybody can make the argument to God, I mean, isn't it Paul? I mean, my mind, Paul's having a conversation with God going, you know what? Did I not prove myself in 2 Corinthians chapter 11? Did I not prove my love and loyalty? You know, could you just help me out with this? This thing's going, no, I don't, I don't want you to get too, because see, I don't want you to get out of line. But what about this? Come on, Lord, like three times Paul is pleading with God. And God's telling him no. What do you do when God tells you no? He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. It's as if God is standing high and he's going, hey, Paul, uh, I get that you're pleading for me to take this thing away from you. But let's go back to chapter 11. Hey, Paul, how in the world did you endure prison? Hey, Paul, how in the world did you find the strength to stand back upon your feet after having five occasions of being lashed 39 times? Hey, Paul, how did you deal with being adrift at sea for a day and night? Hey, Paul, how did you deal with those lonely, sleepless nights where you were homeless, outside, hungry, not knowing what to do? Hey, Paul, how did you start to love again after you had been robbed? Hey, Paul, how in the world... Did you find the strength and the grace to move on after not just going through a literal shipwreck, but feeling like your life has fallen apart? What in the world? Paul, how in the world? Did you get through that? His grace was sufficient for chapter 11. And if his grace was sufficient for chapter 11, his grace is sufficient to take him through. Chapter 12, I even think that the Lord has done us a favor by not telling us what it is in chapter 12. Perhaps it gives us each an opportunity to fill in the blank with our own chapter 12. Our thing, what's, what's our thing? I want you to know this. Every single person, ladies and gentlemen, 
watching online, wherever you're watching from, hear me and hear me clear. His grace is sufficient for whatever you're going through. His grace is sufficient for a pandemic. His grace is sufficient for quarantine. His grace is sufficient for homeschooling and you've never done it before in your life. His grace is sufficient for furlough. His grace is sufficient for a breakup. His grace is sufficient for the future that we know not about. His grace will bring us home. And the same grace that brought maybe you through an actual chapter 11 bankruptcy. It's the same grace that will carry you through in the future. I love. He says, hey, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Man, he says, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions. And calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I think Paul understood a secret on how to hit a curveball that can help you and I today. He realized this that sometimes our darkest days are the perfect days for us to lean on God. In fact, we might experience His power the most on our worst day. And some of us believe that our worst day is proof that God is far from us. But our worst day is our greatest opportunity to get closer to God and see his power like never before. Many of us want to see God's power, but don't want to go through anything. But in fact, we see most of his power when we're going through the most. Ladies and gentlemen, we got a one point message for you today. And it answers This simple question, how do we find strength in God when we are weak? It's very simple. It's going to blow your mind. Okay, I'm telling you, you're going to be like, what? I cannot believe he came up with that all by himself. How do we find strength in God? Invitation. Invitation. And you say, is it that easy? You'd be surprised. How many people spend their lives trying to figure it out by themselves? I can't tell you how many leaders and students and athletes and executives and parents and siblings that sit and try and go, I I got this. I I watched a podcast. I read a book. I I got this. Do we? Can we figure it out? Because if we could, wouldn't we have done that by now? I mean, you got to think about this stuff at some point. I mean, when I think about it, I have to think about Proverbs chapter 3. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways. Submit to him and he will make your path straight. Ladies and gentlemen. I can't tell you how many people never pause their lives long enough to invite God in to say, I don't got this. I mean, I think one of the greatest spiritual disciplines we can have is fighting the I got this mentality. What would it look like for you right now to just begin to 
let it go. And to submit your ways to God to say, I don't got this. And I'm try- I am tired of making decisions based off of my understanding. God, I need your understanding for my life. Imagine what your life would look like. I mean, don't you get exhausted trying to figure out all of this by yourself? I believe that our prayer should go from, Lord, deliver me from this, save me from this, help me escape from this. And I think our prayer should should become, meet me in this. Give me strength in this. Make me better in this. You see, I think what Paul understood about how to hit a curveball was not trying to dodge chapter 11. I think what he learned in chapter 11 is that God met him right where he was. And it would carry him through the rest of his life. Because when he looked back on chapter 11, he realized that it was the grace of God that sustained him. Um, I was uh, recently at a Mavs game before no one could go to Mavs games anymore. And when I was at this game, I I ran into an individual who had heard me preach before. And and he saw me. He said, hey, um, you're Ryan Leak. I said, hey, man, what's your name? And he introduced himself to me and, and, you know, and his son. And he said, man... I really, really look up to you. I said, man, I appreciate you, man. I was like, that's cool, man. You excited about the game? You know, I was trying to, like, change the subject or something. And, and he's like, no, man, for real. I really look up to you. And I was like, man, what, what, dude, it, it, what, what are you talking about? He's like, no, dude, for real. He's like, this is what he said. I thought it was very interesting. He said, you're so strong. I'm like, how do you know that? Like, you don't, you don't, you don't, like, you, you've seen me on a stage, we've never hung out. Like, how do you, he goes, no, like, I wish I had your strength. You seem like a strong man, I wish I had your strength. And I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, man, if only you knew that it wasn't my strength that you see ever on a stage or anywhere that you might, it, it's, it's not mine and what most, people don't know is the very first time that I found God's strength was when my father had a stroke when I was in the fifth grade. I'll never forget it. I remember waking up at three in the morning and I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where you wake up and you instantly feel something's wrong. And I felt that. I I just felt like something was off and and I get up and, and I see that the light's on in my living room, and I'm like, where's everybody at? And, and I go downstairs, and I see an ambulance backing out of my driveway, and I see my two brothers and my mother praying in our living room for my dad to live. And I don't know, maybe they thought I was just too young to handle it. They didn't want to wake me up. And, and I woke up, and I said, hey, what's, what's going on here? And then from that moment on, I knew that my life would be completely different than it was before. And all I can tell you is this is God met my family in that living room. And then uh, as we got into the morning, we went to the hospital and we're getting all of these different diagnoses and we're just worried and we're trying to figure out what life is going to look like from this point on. And guess what happened? God met my family in a hospital room. 
I could do this for a very, very long time. And what you would see if I began to tell you my full life story and I were to write it out in a book, what we would see is that God kept meeting me. God kept meeting my family in rooms, not to preferred outcomes. But he was our strength. And all I can tell you now is that age 33, when I look back on my life, it is the grace of God that has been sufficient for every season of my life. I found strength in God in fifth grade in the living room, just worried about what's going to happen to a little boy's dad. And God met me there. And he just keeps meeting me in rooms. My hope and prayer for each and every person watching this message is that you would invite God to the room and that his grace would be sufficient for whatever season you find yourself in right now. And that God would meet you in your room, in your living room, in your kitchen, in your bedroom, in your office, in your car, wherever you are today. My hope and prayer is that each and every person would invite God in. Say, God, I don't know how to handle what is going to change while it's in the air, but would your grace be sufficient for what I can't see coming? Would you do for me what you did for Paul in chapter 11 and in chapter 12, which is supply a crazy amount of your amazing grace over my life. And here's what I believe for every single chase of ochre. Is that his grace will be sufficient for every season of your life. And for every curveball that you try to hit. Can we pray together? Lord, I thank you so much for each and every person watching this message. God, I pray that your grace would be sufficient for every season that we're in. God, I pray that we would not make the mistake. Of not inviting you into our life. Into our season. God would you meet us right where we're at. Would you meet us in rooms that sometimes feel dark. And may your light shine brightest on our darkest day. Because this is what we know about how good of a God you are. The sun will rise tomorrow. And God I pray that we would do the same. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.